This is crazy. Do you see like most stations you go in, you see the school name and the sponsors? Mm. No, no sponsorship. Just, just clean. There's nine lines, right? So nine in each end zone point at 42 degree angle. So nine times two, 18. So 1842, this university was created. And so you realize, okay, why? They all point Super at the stolen. Golden Dome. Y'all sold out Ireland already, huh? Oh, it's that dead. is insane. Okay, they go into Ireland and they sold it out already. They said this will be the biggest travel party of Americans to go to Ireland at one point ever. And Jim Trussell was there. Uh -huh. And I'm taking pictures. And they kept saying, hey, coach. I'm like, there's one coach in this room. Right. But he's always going to be coach. Right. You know always going to be the man. And that's what Lou Holtz taught me, man. It's like, okay, this head coaching thing, mm -hmm. if you do these kids the right way, man, it lasts forever. Right. Saying, so how do we embrace tradition but become yeah, relevant right, now? This is it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we can't be no way different, but this, yeah. this helps you become relevant. Yeah. So now in recruiting, yeah. oh, man, you guys had to pivot there? Yep. Y'all had to pivot? <laughs> yeah, that's real. This is Notre Dame. They're going to be, you know, the little on three site, the yeah. recruiting site? Yeah. They're going to be, Ryan Clark must be getting recruited. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Oh. Wow. I want to finish. I got, I don't have a touchdown. Jesus, play like a champion. Yeah, I mean, this is the original. Oh, it's this the Rudy Room. This is the original. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I just met him in Jacksonville really? three weeks ago. Room. Really? Yeah, the he is. Thing? Yes. Yeah. yeah, he is lively. Yeah. Like, lively. I always had this question, Coach. After the game, before the press, do you shower? I go in coaching uniform. Right. After the game, I go and Go straight to it. Yeah, they give me a, uh, a list of some points. Any stats, anything I need, and then I go out there. Do they get? Do they I don't change. Kind of decompress first, or you go straight to it. Kind of go. I go talk to the team, so I bring everybody up, right? Address the team, get the stat sheet, and go straight. Right. Coach Tomlin saying, bro, he was like, I used to always ask him, because yeah. like when you talk to Coach T away from ball, like when we sat down with him for the show, yeah. I was like, man, this the dude I know. But then he getting that press conference, and you only gonna get out of him what he's willing to give you. Hold up, let me let. Well, Coach, welcome to The Pivot. First of all, man, thank you so much for letting us come here to oh, yeah. show us around and, you know, just the hospitality. We're really grateful. Freddie T, this is Chan. I'm RC. It is, for someone like me, it's, it's a pleasure who has always respected the history of this school, but who also understands the difficulty in coaching yeah. and how hard it is to get one of these jobs, let alone this job, mm -hmm. to be the 30th, head coach, second African-American, not only the first of Asian descent here, but the second of Asian descent to ever coach Power 5 football along with Norm Child. I didn't know that. I, I read a lot. I appreciate you. <laughs> along man. with Norm Child. And so there are so many different barriers being broken, but you're doing it in a way where you stay authentically you. And I think that's why your players reacted the way they did when they were told, you know, you were going to be the next head coach after Brian Kelly left. My question for you, though, is this starts obviously with your father, Michael, and your mother, Chong, but you were a big time football player, right? They said they called you Wayne High School's favorite son. No, that's Will Allen. You know, that's Will <laughs> well, Allen. That's my dog. That's my dog. You know, and you go to Ohio State, you get playing BCS playoff games, you 
or all conference your last year. You bounce around a little bit, I think it was Bills, Texans, but in February of that offseason, you go to get a physical for the Colts and they give you a diagnosis that ends your career. Yeah. And you said at that young age, football's not number one, it's my religion and my family, and you move on to coach under Jim Trestle as a grad assistant. It seemed from the outside looking in, coach, that you totally understood it and you grasped it and you were so grateful for everything that you'd gotten up to that point. But it feels hard to me to let that dream go. Yeah. How difficult was that for you to say, okay, now it's time to begin a new chapter of my life? I appreciate that, you know, spitting off those things, man, that's good. You know, I love the game, right? Just like we all did. You love the, the competition. You love the, actually, the unity of being a part of a team. I love that, man. I love the locker room. Again, neither of my parents went to college. And so my dreams as a young person was, man, play at the highest level, right, in college and try to go to the NFL. And sometimes those dreams stop when you, when you say NFL. And so I was able to play in two national championship games, then win them. Lost one to Florida, you know, <laughs> and then lost one to LSU. <laughs> LSU. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. But fifth round pick, went to the NFL, and, and, you know, I got cut after training camp. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I would say is this, is that being in Chicago was the first time I was homesick. I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, which is about 50 minutes outside of Columbus, Ohio, um, went to Ohio State, and you had guys, as you, your former team, Will Allen, and some, of, some guys that I knew from high school that were there, you know, and, and man, it, it was, I was never homesick, you know, and, and then all of a sudden you go to the NFL, I got a fiance and a son, our oldest boy at the time, I'm like, man, I'm in Chicago with Brian Erlacher and Lance Briggs and, and some of these guys, man, and I'm like, this is the first time that, you know, I miss being home. Yeah. And end up getting cut and kind of was like, all right, man, we'll figure this thing out. Then got picked up by the Bills, right? And I was on practice squad and they had somebody get hurt. And I thought, they, they, they gave me a call to say, Coach, hey, the GM wants to see you. I'm like, oh, I'm getting moved up to the active process. <laughs> he said, oh, we're going to let you go. <laughs> we got we to gotta bring in a vet. And then uh, I went to Houston. And that's when I was in Houston for about eight or nine weeks. And that's when I was like, okay, man, I love this. I know what it takes now. I can figure this thing out. All of a sudden, I remember being in Houston and my knee was were hurting. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know how long I'm gonna play this game. This is my third team in one year. And I called Coach Tress and said, if something happens where I can't play ball, I, I think I wanna be a coach. He said, okay, play as long as you can, right? And if it, if it happens, you can come coach. So the Colts called me. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to Indianapolis and keep chasing this dream. And they find an enlarged heart valve. And I called Coach Tress that day as soon as on my way back. And I said, hey, I can't play anymore. I want to get into coaching. He said, be here the next day. But I never grew up wanting to be a coach. I really thought I wanted to be an athletic director. And I was like, man, them coaches work crazy hours. As we talked man, I ain't trying to do that. But I remember just being in Houston saying, I know I'm not playing right now, but I'm preparing like I'm going to play and I love this game. And that's where I started to develop this passion for actually coaching ball. Before I end, I, went, I thought it was about ball, right? Man, I want to stay by the game, near the game and, and you know, win and, and be great on defense. And I was a GA at Ohio State and I coached the, the drop-in position. And I remember making these tip sheets and one of my guys made a sack in the first game. And he came over silent, we're hugging and we're just celebrating. And at that moment, I said, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. 
It's about seeing young people, helping young people have success. That's why you do it. It's not to be the head coach at Notre Dame, man. This is a great uh, platform for me, but man, those dudes, I love them. I love them and want to see them succeed. And so that's really what, what I gained a passion for. And coach, with the medical condition, the enlarged valve, yep. you as a high school everything, a college all everything, went to three different NFL teams. Yeah. The fourth team found out about that? I had an MRI, everything at the, the, the combine. So they did all these tests at the combine and high school and college never found it. And then the Indianapolis Colts, they, they, they did an EKG and they said, hey, we need you to come back and do some more tests. And, and that's when he said, look, you got an enlarged left ventricle. And he said, right now, nobody's signing guys with this because a couple guys had just died in the NFL, maybe conditioning or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. He was like, look, we're not signing you. Nobody's going to sign you. And I'm almost like, man, it's a sign from God, man. I just I was just at the combine what, seven, eight, nine months earlier, and they didn't find anything. Coach, around that time, too, that was when Gaines Adams passed as well. That's right. That's Ironically, right. he was drafted by the Bears. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly so, right. And that has to be playing as well that, you know, it is a, it is a blessing yeah. that I found out this way rather than the other way. Amen. Amen. Coach, we're here at Notre Dame, where a lot of those young men, you were just, you know, uh, expressing the, the, the passion to be able to coach them and teach them life. A lot of them are going to aspire to go on to the next level. Uh, but you are a perfect example of you got to have your ducks in a row. I understand you, you got your master's degree in sports management, yeah. which explains not having the initial passion for coaching, but wanting to be athletic director, understand all the nuances. How much of your story do you share with these young men here about perseverance, you know, about not giving up, about having a plan B and making sure, you know, you continue to move forward in life? You know, every once in a while I do. I try not to all the time. I try to really just give them examples. And a lot of times it ain't me, but examples of don't cheat football, right? That's why you choose Notre Dame. You want to be a first round pick. Right. You aspire to be a national champion. So we don't want to cheat that, man. You got to grind, you got to work your tail off and all those things that we know it takes to have success. But understand you're at a place that you can truly tap into a network that is second to none. And I try to show them examples of really what this network is. It can be former players. It can be Notre Dame alums, people that are just connected with Notre Dame and say, we're foolish if you don't tap into this network while you're chasing this dream, because for me, I think even coming up, sometimes you, you always, you thought, if you thought about anything other than football, oh man, I'm, I'm cheating my chance of making a league, right? I'm cheating my chance of really reaching all my football goals, which is foolish, right? You can chase these dreams for, to be an NFL football player, to be the greatest football player you can be, but you can tap into your network and, real, and, and, and have some realization of what other passions you have. And so I try to create that while they're here to truly tap into this thing while we have it. Coach, I got to ask got it because you read the story and it was like, yeah, they took football away. Oh, I'm going to go here. Yeah. Let's lay it out how it was. <laughs> You're unemployed now. Yeah. You got a baby. Yeah. And you ain't got nothing, nothing left. You're going to be a GA. And I know yeah. GAs don't make a damn dime. Yeah, no doubt. Like, it was that easy. There was no downtime. There was no, no. sitting by yourself. You never, you, you never had a mental lull mm. after they told you football was gone. Got right into work. And that's how I've always been. Like, I don't have a lot of alone time. I don't have a lot of downtime. Like, I, I constantly want to be doing something. And maybe I learned that from my parents. You know, my mom worked three jobs. She's a Korean woman that had no clue about anything. 
And she just worked and worked and worked and worked. And my father was in the military for 26 years and he ended up retiring from the military and kept working and working and working. And so that's all I know. But you know what? I don't, I don't know. It, it, there wasn't a moment where I was depressed and didn't know what my next steps were. I was kind of developing those thoughts as I was being cut in the NFL, yeah. you know? And also to answer your question about this, like my wife, we got married one month after they found an enlarged heart valve. And uh, um, she had a job, she was making good money. She was a, a news reporter in Columbus, Ohio. And so she was able to support kind of all of us when I was making GA money, which is no money. And uh, you know, I gotta give her credit because the next year I go to Kent State. All right, I'm hired as a linebackers coach, a division one program. You think, hey, we're gonna make good money, like we're good. <laughs> I remember I got my salary, it was 42,000. And my wife would made almost double that. And I said, look, you stay in Columbus, I'm gonna go to Kent State, which is two hours away. She said, no, ain't no way we're gonna do this thing apart. And so she gave up her job, came and moved up and we figured it out. And so, uh, so how many, however many years later, 10, 12, 15 years later, you know, she's still taking care of the house and the kids and, um, you got a little bit of salary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? A little bit. Hey, hey, hey. She can spend a little bit more money. You know? <laughs> hey coach, fast forward that, you know, you spoke about your parents and how that upbringing helped develop you as a man and who you are now as a coach. Also your wife supporting you, especially early on in your career, not just by the fact that she was working, but with the love and support that we're gonna do this yeah. together. Yeah. You're named the head coach of Notre Dame, which is a prestigious position in itself. Not just, it's not just the head coach at any other university in the country. And on the front row is your father, yeah. is your mother, is your wife, Joanna, is your six children. Right, that, that moment you got to share that with them, that is the culmination of all of our sacrifices, all of the hard work, all of the lessons, all of the adversities. What was that like for you? It's special, something you can't really, really describe at times. And I think as we get older, as men, you, you realize why you are the way you are, why you're in the position you're in. I wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for my wife, really supporting me, taking care of the house and the kids. And, but I wouldn't be who I am as a person if it wasn't for the examples of my parents. And I don't think sometimes you realize that as you go through it. You know what I mean? I think sometimes you're in a position, you look back and you say, that's why I'm the way I am. You know, and the same thing goes, one of my greatest examples was my college coach, Jim Tressel. And a lot of the reasons I am the way I am is because of the example he set. And we often think it's, it's the things we say, right? Sometimes as men, as leaders, it's, oh, we're going to say the right thing. I'm going to be a great man. Man, that's what you see. That's what these kids see, right? Is what really, really sticks with them for the rest of their life. And that's how it was with Coach Trust. Speaking of Coach Trussell and where you are now, just looking at the journey, you know, just holistically backing things out. You know, you wanted to play in the NFL, that happened. It was maybe not as long as you wanted, would have liked, but certain circumstances came about where you had to pivot. Mm -hmm. And you made, you picked <laughs> up the phone and you made that call. Some guys won't do that. And a lot of players, they don't develop these relationships with their coaches. You know, maybe assistant coach, cause they spend a lot of time with them. But the head man, the head man is always moving. Yeah. Have you ever thought that if Coach Trussell didn't answer that phone or maybe if he had said no, then you know what direction your life would have uh, traveled? Yeah, it would have been totally different. And I probably would have 
called Gene Smith, who is the athletic director at Ohio State. Um, I actually GA'd, so my fifth year at Ohio State, I was already graduate, and so I GA'd for Gene Smith, who was our athletic director. Is Gene Smith um, the old Jags um, GM or a different Gene Nope, G- different Gene Smith. Okay. But that Gene Smith, he's a Notre Dame grad. You oh, know what I mean? Oh, so here I had, he I, had, I had to put that, I had to <laughs> sprinkle a little bit go. on it. I love Gene. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't follow after he left yeah. Jags too much, yeah. but he was always solid. With yeah. Me. I probably would have called, he would have been my second call and said, hey, I've already GA for you. I think I want to go into this uh, sports management, sports administration, you know, side. But it, it is we have to utilize, man, these these connections that we have. And that's what I tell the, the our players now is that I can talk all about this Notre Dame network and the, the people that we have and the connection. But if we're not tapping into it, really utilizing it, um, it's going to be for a waste. And and sometimes I think even I think back to myself like. You, you don't want to. You don't want to seem vulnerable. Right. You want to act like I got all the answers. I'm good. I don't need help. I'm good. The minute you ask somebody, hey, can you teach me something? Can you tell me how I can prepare better? You feel like you're being vulnerable, like you're weak. You know, when I tell our players, that's foolish, man. Utilize these, these, these connections that are, are all around us, you know? It takes trust. Yeah. And as a, I speak myself as an 18-year-old guy coming out of NCAA Atlanta, I didn't go to Florida. I'm not going to trust these old white dudes. Yep. You know yep. what I'm saying? Yep. I, Charlie Strong was there, luckily. And oh, that's yeah. kind of like, that's my ace to this day. I love Chuck. But how do you get kids to trust you because you're a disciplinarian? Yep. So now if I get in trouble, you're yelling at me. Mm-hmm. You might take my scholarship. You got me running 6 a.m. But now trust me. Come talk to me. If you need something, I'm here for you. How, what's, how do you walk that line? Especially as a young black coach, yeah. you, you look like I could trust you, but you're still <laughs> the head coach of Notre Dame. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Just like you said, if you don't hold these dudes accountable, you don't hold them to a standard, you're failing them, right? And you got to get them to understand that, man. We're going to push you and hold you accountable and, and, and push you to places you can't imagine because we care about you, right? Mm-hmm. We care about you. And I don't want you to come back and say, I wish you would have did more, you know? I don't want you to go to another score at the NFL and say, man, coach, this guy's getting more out of me than you did. Like, I don't want to, you know what I mean? I'd rather get everything out of you than just be your buddy. You know, but trust takes time, man. It's intentional, right? Trust is earned. And I tell our coaches all the time, like, one, it's through competence. Like, do you know what the hell you're talking about, right? If a player's, if you come to meetings, you don't know what you're talking about, a player's telling you you're making mistakes, like, you're going to lose the competence that, that you're supposed to have. But it's about character. Do they see you? Do they see your actions? Are you a man of your word? Can they watch you and say, okay, he's living the life that, that he preaches about? But the third thing is the connection. It's like, do you do intentional actions to make sure you're building trust? Like, do I have kids intentionally coming to my office and say, hey, sit down with me, let's talk? Like, it, it, you have to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. And so if we can do that, now you can continue to push. They'll trust you. You can push kids as far as they trust you, man. You know what I mean? If not, then they're just going to do blind obedience, just like you said. You well, know? you know what? This has been fun, right? All this, let's be happy. <laughs> we love Marcus Freeman. Yay! Marcus got the job! Pivot. Go ahead, pivot. Yeah. <laughs> You lost your first three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Fiesta Bowl, yep. Oklahoma State. Yeah. Dang, I mean, we fired up. We got Ohio State. We back at the, we back at the crib. Yeah. Right? We lose that one. And then it's Marshall. I remember, I, I didn't get to watch it. I remember just seeing the highlights. My dog took his, he took his headphones off. And I was like, yeah. He felt that That's one. Hurt. Right? Yeah. So I want to ask you to explain to me a little bit about the bumpy road to better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Because uh, that was something you use 
to stay steadfast and right the ship here. But I think all that goes to trust. It yeah. goes to confidence. It goes to belief in who you were. But someone sent you yeah. that sermon and you use that to go forward in the year. Yeah, so you talk about December 3rd, right? That's the video everybody sees, right? Your name head coach, they're cheering for you, the players going crazy. You're talking January 1st of the next year, so 20-something days later. You're giving your first post-game speech about, after a loss, right? So the highest of highs, the lowest of lows in a 20-something day span, right? And so I still didn't figure it out, right? You're getting ready for Ohio State now. We're good. We're good, man. I said, hey, that was the bowl game. I didn't know what office I was in, man. We're getting ready for Ohio State. And, and we know it's going to be a challenge. We're, we're up with about a minute left in the third, right? They end up opening it up the game. We lose 21 to 10. But you play well enough that you're kind of like, all right, we, we got a good team. We, we lost a tough one, but we're good. We know we're going to beat Marshall. We know this is going to be my first win. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And you go and you lose the Marshal. And you talk about a low, a low moment. You know, I remember coming back here, sitting in my office, and Nobody's coming in your office. It's just you and you. And I got a couple text messages. Coach Tomlin reached out to me. A lot of people reached out to you. But I got a text from uh, Kevin Warren, who at that time was the Big Ten commissioner. Now he's the president of the Chicago Bears. And he sent me a, a, a T.D. Jakes sermon. And it was talking about the bumpy road. And it was just, I used that thought process of, the vision we have for where we're going is a smooth, straight road. This thing is bumpy, right? But we got to make sure this is continued to get the better, right? We can't just do a bumpy road and stay in the same place, you know? And, and that kind of really hit me, and I explained it to the team that we got to go through these bumps, man. Like, we have to. And you got to believe this was intentional. Like, we have to go through these low moments to figure out what it takes to lead a program like this, to figure out what this team needs to be successful. Right? And we, we should start winning. We'll go three games in a row. Right? Three games in a row. We got it. We got it. We beat two undefeated teams, North Carolina and BYU. Oh, we got it. Then we lose to Stanford. Mm-hmm. Right? We lose Stanford. And, and that's when I kind of said, you know what? You got to stay right here in the middle. And what's that mean is that you can't let praise or criticism or victories or defeats, you got to stay right there in the middle. And that's hard. That's hard, man. That's hard for a head coach. That's hard for our players because there's so much noise. There's so much pressure on these dudes, man, from school to being a starter to being a backup to their parents saying you should be the starter to the coach not to be honest. I mean, there's so much stuff. And you just got to stay right in the middle of that bumpy road and focus on improvement. And so that's kind of been my thought process. We, we moved forward and we won the next five games and lost a tough one to USC. And then we come back and win the bowl game. And Man, the, the journey is never how we foresee it on the front end. It isn't. And you can't talk your way into winning a national championship. You can't talk your way into being a Hall of Famer in, in the NFL. You got to work and you got to constantly focus on improvement. And at some point, we'll look at the results and see where you're at. But that's kind of been, you know, my, my, my mindset as we move forward. It's what uh, Coach Prime says. He says, if I get excited when you're excited, now I'm going to be down when you get upset with me. So... I'm not going to buy into your excitement because then I got to buy into your, to your criticism. Right. 
But you talk at especially a place like Notre Dame. Yeah. You talk about the the bumpy road, but you got to ride that with more than your coaching staff and the players. Amen. In a place like this, you got the alumni, you got the money folks. We know Amen. how this goes. Do you do you have meetings like through that bumpy road? Do you justify that? Who who are who are those meetings when it's not just you and you? Yeah. Who are those people? What's that? What's what's that like being a new head coach of Notre Dame? And they see failure. Yeah. And them people don't like failure, coach. Yeah. Ain't no doubt. The expectations whenever game you play here. Yeah. And we haven't won. Listen, we ain't won a national championship since 1988. Yeah. You know, and they, they, hey, every every year, <laughs> hey, <laughs> win this national championship. You know, and 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 that's my goal too. You know, I want it. I want success for for two groups. Right. As one is our players. Okay. I want it for our players, right? Because they deserve it, man. That's why they chose Notre Dame. And I want it for our athletic director and our president. They took a chance on me. There's, there's so much support around here. But listen, man, you got to just love them dudes, right? And you got to fix the process. Like, the amount of people that text me after Marshall, trust the process, trust the process. Man, ain't no trusting. We're 0-3. Yeah. There ain't no trust. You got to fix it. And you got to look. And we got to coach better. I got to lead better first, Right? And we got to coach better. And then they got to go do. We showed you guys that, that the team room, right? We're going to decide and we're going to teach. So we got to teach better. But then they, in return, have to do better, right? And so those are the things that we got to get better at and we got to fix them with urgency. And uh, that's what we were able to do and we got to keep doing it, right? And we're going to have to continue to keep doing it and, and continue to keep learning, man. And uh, again, and pivoting. You know, I was thinking about you guys when I, when I was walking this morning, like pivot. When I think about pivot, I almost thought about like a seesaw, right? Go uphill and at some point you're gonna pivot downhill, right? And, but it's hard going uphill. Like it's hard, man. It's hard to get that seesaw to the point it actually pivots. And that's, we gotta understand, man, this thing is hard. One of the greatest Catholic universities in the world. We can't pray this thing and happen it. That's real talk. Though. You can't just pray yeah. it to happen. You gotta work. You gotta pray and work. Yeah. And you gotta work tirelessly. And, and at some point, that thing will pivot to where it needs to go. Coach Channing brought up trust, which is building a rapport, but more so just than with the players. You mentioned, you know, everybody, the, the AD, the president, you know, get on the same page, uh, being creative all the time, building systems, having the systems in place. You know, but it all comes back down to, you know, coaching. But what does it really mean to you? And uh, what are some of your greatest strengths and attributes as a coach? I think it's two different parts when you think about coaching. One is, is the player. You coach the player. What does that mean? You got to get that player to play above his God-given ability, right? And that's how we're evaluated. Can we get this dude somehow, some way to perform at a level that he can't even imagine, right? And that takes intentionality, man. You got to pour yourself into that dude. You got to be creative. You can't just look at a kid and say, look, he, he don't get it. Man, we, talent is talent, mm -hmm. right? We got to figure out ways for him to get it, right? We got to teach it better. That's why I keep saying, how do we teach? We got to look at how we teach because what we teach is a reflection of what they do, right? And so we have to continue to teach better and pour into the player. But then there's a, a, a tactical side to it too now, right? And then you got to strategically be at an elite level to try to win versus some elite coach. Man, there's elite coaches in college football. And so we got to make sure we are always enhancing. One of the things we talk about is just challenge everything. Right, it's one of part of our culture. Challenge everything. Find a better way to teach it, but also strategically to to perform. Right, we gotta out scheme some people too, you know, and that takes hard work. It can't be we're doing it this way because we've always done it that way. Right, and so how do we get the player to perform at a higher level? How do we make sure we are always enhancing the way we schematically approach the game?
you know, coach, it's it's very it's very easy. I can look at you and I can tell you you're a brother. It's not that's not that's not hard. Mm -hmm. uh, but you speak of your mom so often, just in watching everything you do. You know, I saw something in 2021 when we were dealing with the atrocities and tragedies that were happening to so many, especially Asian women being mm -hmm. targeted. And you say, yeah, I talked to my mom about that. She does, she's not really vocal about it. But you also mentioned having the utmost pride mm -hmm. in both of your heritage, yeah. right? In, yeah. in who your father is and who your father's made you, also your mother. Now, you did say one thing, coach, that you're gonna have to prove to me. <laughs> You said you went to both churches and the Korean food was better after church. Hey, now, listen. Hey, coach, I don't, I don't know about that now, coach. But when you do take time to sit back and think about who you represent yeah. in that sense, in, you know, being the second black head coach here yeah. after Ty Willingham and, you know, being one of only two Asian coaches to hold this position in Division I ball, how proud are you to be able to say that that's where my people come from? You yeah. know, my mom was in school and in Seoul when she met my pops, yeah. right? Yeah. Those sacrifices that got me here. How, how proud are you to represent that? I'm so proud. I haven't always been this way. You know, I think as a young person, man, when you, you, you have something that might be different, you're kind of like, oh, man, you know, I don't want to, you know, be in front of everybody. I got this Korean mom that this might be different than, than black or white parents, you know? But as you get older, you realize, man, it's so special, man, I'm honored. Well, I got a chance to go to the White House and I was invited as the head coach of Notre Dame, but it was the only reason I was invited was because my mother was Korean, right? So President Biden was having a state dinner for uh, the president of South Korea. And he invited me uh, and a guest to go to the White House. And so I had to have a conversation with my wife, like, listen, I'm not invited unless you and, and my mom went Korean. So I got to take my mom. And, uh, it was amazing, man, and I had so much pride um, in our, my heritage, you know, and, and where my mom has come from, and so it's who I am, you know? And, and so to answer the second part of your question is, I remember growing up and in, in aspiring to be like Heinz War because he was half black and half Korean, and he was successful, right? And so I remind myself that, that there's some young people that look at a half black and a half Asian man and say, you know what, I want to be like him. So I want to have success because I want people that have grown up like me, that look like me, to, to realize, man, there's opportunities to do whatever the heck you want, man, whatever you want. But I don't add that pressure to me, right? I don't say I got to work harder because there's a young Johnny, you know, behind me that wants to be like, I got to work as hard as I can for those players, man. Because those are the ones that have chose Notre Dame and chose me to be the leader. And I got to work as hard as I can to push those guys to have success. And that's my everyday inspiration. But I don't, don't forget that, that, man, you got these young people behind you that need you to have success, you know, so they can understand there's a path and a way. I got to know Kyle pretty well. Oh, yeah. Kyle Hamilton and uh, amazing parents, but amazing young men. Yeah. Right. Obviously, top notch. Yeah elite level player. But you said something, coach, that, that really stuck out to me. Uh, you know, in the business I'm in, right, when things happen in the NFL with coaches I know and players I know, when there is a white coach who they feel passed on, passed up a black coach, something, I get the text messages, right? Yeah. RC, and so I, I, I do my best from my position to advocate when advocation is needed. Yeah. Uh, you're in a different position because right now you get to do. Mm -hmm. And you said that you want to be a representation yeah. 
But not only that, you want to be a demonstration. And I'll say to that, that is a large responsibility. And as I went on to read, you know, it was about the way you coached and the, the way you show that people like yourself from backgrounds and ethnicities like yourself are able to do the job at a high level. Right. But I think it's more than that. When a coach, an, an, a black coach or a black and Korean coach says he wants to be a demonstration, not only a representation, it's also in the way you live. Yeah. It's also in the human that you are. It's the fact that you not only can show that you can do the job, but you show that you do exactly what we ask white coaches to do, which is to care about those young men, no matter their color, no matter their background, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their religion, but to care about them walking away from you a better human than when they met you. That's right. And by demonstrating that, now it's saying we're not asking coaches, we're not asking white coaches to be something different than what we're aiming to be, but we're asking that all of them be held to that level. And so when you walk in to your introduction to the team, it wasn't just black players that got up and hugged you, it was all of them. It wasn't the first guy you dapped off wasn't a black kid, it was a white kid. And your job is to take care of him too. And I think you've done a great job of that thus far in representing yourself, but also in taking care of this locker room, which is the biggest melting pot in the world, the way that it's supposed to be. So I really wanted to commend you on that. And aside from that, Coach, you called your, uh, I think you called your house like a melting pot or something. <laughs> no you doubt. know what I mean? No. What is it like in being the head coach of Notre Dame, right? You have this huge group of children, young men that you take care of every day. But you said it yourself when, the, after the Colts found the enlarged heart valve, my family and God and my religion are first. Yeah. What is it like now, man, being the head coach of Notre Dame and trying to balance the need to win a championship here with the need to be championship level at home as yeah. well? You'll never be a, at a championship level at home. And that's, it, it, what is the evaluation of a championship level, right? And, but, but the demands of a college football coach are, are extremely high to have success. The hours that it takes to put in, it's, there, there are a lot of hours. I've always said this, like, it's not a balance, it's a blend. We have a work-life blend. So what's that mean is I'm fortunate I live 10 minutes up the road, right? And if my wife can bring one kid, two kids, five kids, six kids, it doesn't matter. If she can bring them here for 10 minutes, she can bring them here for a practice, she can bring them here for a dinner, she tries to. And it's for two reasons. One, so I can see them. I mean, usually in the season, for sure in the season, you leave, they're sleeping, you come home, they're sleeping, mm -hmm. right? You can see your wife, but you're not seeing your kids during the week. I see them on Sunday when I leave. I don't see them again awake until Thursday. And so if they can come and see dad for a minute, um, we try to do that. But the second part is this, is that like a lot of our players, I don't care if you have both parents at home or not, right? You still need the example modeled in front of you. You can be have the example for 18 years and 18 to 22. If you got a bad example, man, I can affect you. And so I want our players to see me and our other coaches as a husband, as a father, and not by what we say. Ah, you got you got to treat your wife with respect. You got to love your kids. No, I want to show it to you because that's what's going to stick with them longer. And uh, that's why we have this blend. And that's what we got. That's how we make it work, man. And coach, I got to go back for one second because I actually asked Coach Tomlin this. You brought up Tomlin, and yeah. I fell in love with Mike Tomlin. Oh That's my awful. goodness! I just I knew he was a great coach, and I met him as a man and just fell in love with him. <laughs> but I asked him about, like RC was saying, being a black coach, knowing that 
in the past, those opportunities weren't there. If you look at the, the demographics of head coaches right now, yeah. it's just, you know, it's, it's slowly blending. But your responsibility to hire black men, mm -hmm. because Tomlin said, he was like, I don't have nothing against hiring black, black men. I want to hire the greatest coaches I can have on my staff. But you as a black coach, yeah. do you try to interview more black guys? You know, yeah. I would, if I was there and I would never be, I might go overboard <laughs> trying to find them. But that, that's that balance that yeah. you have to have now as a head coach of a university like this. Yeah, I think there's a, a part that you have to search, right? You got to make sure that there's, if, if there's a qualified black man or minority, search and find them. But at the end of the day, if you can't help us win, I can have every coach on my staff be black. And if we lose, we're all gone. Yeah. Right. And so my job is to make sure you're bringing in people that are going to help us have success. Yeah. Right. And success with our players, success on the football field. And so that's what goes in my mind. But I think you've got to be able to be intentional about interviewing, finding. And I'm a part of so Locks, a coach, Mike mm -hmm. Loxley and Mike Tomlin and all those coaches. We got to there's this minority coalition and I'm a part of that. And so what can I do to help? Right. And it, maybe it's not just hiring every coach that's a black man. Right. But. I try to get on some Zooms and I try to say, listen, if you reach out to me, I'll respond. And I have some coaches that could be a JUCO, that could be Division I GAs, they reach out to me and I try to respond when I can because that's what Mike Tomlin did to me, yeah. mm -hmm. right? I became the head coach. Mike Tomlin didn't, he knew of me. He didn't know me. He didn't have to personally reach out. Mike Tomlin reached out to me. Tony Dungy reached out to me. If you ever need anything, I'm a resource. So when we lost to Marshall, Mike Tomlin, Tony Dungy, People reached out to me that didn't have to. And so I want to make sure that I'm doing the same thing. You know, it's the same thing those guys are doing for me. I want to do for the next one. Coach, in 2009, you signed a four-year, $1.931,700 signing <laughs> a contract, four-year, with a $181,000 signing That's right. bonus, right? That's right. <laughs> $400,000 a year you made. <laughs> 2010, you lost football due to the con heart condition. Uh, but you grind your way through the ranks for years, well more than 10, 11 years, to get to where you are now. Yeah. And now you're with the big boys. You get paid top 10 money. <laughs> I ain't putting it out there, but... It's private it, anyway. It's, you know, that's the beautiful thing about being here, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's, top, it's top 10 money. But what I want to really get to is uh, the journey itself and being grateful. Yeah for that journey. And I want to know is your wife, is she the real MVP no along doubt. that ride? No doubt. No doubt. She's been the MVP. You know, again, you can't do this without, I told you guys, I was making $2,000 a month as a GA and she was making $60,000, $70,000 supporting our family. Then I go and take a $42,000 job and she says, I'm going to quit this job so we can raise this family together. And now she's taking care of six kids and, and being the the head coach's wife at Notre Dame. And so she's always been MVP. Um, she takes care of, of everything and does more. As I, what I've learned is I've gotten older. Listen, money, money's good. Like, that's, that's, we all know that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it isn't always for me. Yeah. Right? Is it you work your tail off to provide a great life for your family. I want my wife and kids to, to be able to enjoy the way they live. I can tell you, I, I live any differently <laughs> than I did at Kent right. State, right. you know? But you can't chase it. Some of the, the greatest advice I give our coaches is that 
the best decisions I made was turning down more money in my career, hmm. right? It's saying no to more money. And I always tell coaches, say yes to winning and no to money, hmm. right? It's easier said than done. Easier said than done. But if you can associate yourself with a winning program, that's going to take you longer than taking just a job that's going to give you a little bit more money. All right. And that's what I've learned more than anything is that money will come. Money will come. You can provide for you. If you can provide for your family, that's what really matters. When, when was the last time you, you guys had some fun, like just as a family, like a big trip, vacation? <laughs> Have you had time for it? Oh, uh, no, they took spring break alone. Um, OK, we were practicing. They took spring, but they went down to uh, Singer Island down there. Uh, yeah. Beach. Yeah. Every year that's they cool. go down to Singer Island. Yeah. yeah. Me and my wife took a, a three day trip to Colorado, Aspen. I ain't never skied. In my life, you know, and y'all uh, food that altitude like that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know you, you. No, no, you ain't allowed up there, you know. Um, <laughs> but as a family, we haven't been able. They come to recruiting dinners, you know. Then we ever see each other as an entire family. We're gonna go to Hawaii. We got about three weeks off at the end of June to July. That's all coaches get. So we're gonna take ten days and take the family to Hawaii. But that's dope. That's a, supposed to be a vacation. We'll see. That's work. You know? hey, that's work for a parent. A four-year-old? Yeah, that's work, coach. Yeah. I'm sure so I got a problem with what you just said, though, man. What's that? I'm about to, I'm about to act like Ohio State fans when you first Stay got the stop. job stop. and you release your, <laughs> your, your Players' Tribune thing. <laughs> so here I am, Chan. We coming off a tough year. We getting a new D.C. I already know. It's just they cool. tell me Marcus Freeman coming to Baton Rouge. You know what R.C. going to do. What can I do to help? <laughs> I want this man, I need him I know to be at LSU. You know what they tell Ryan Clark? We got it. <laughs> he coming to the school. So what you're telling me is I could go do my work. I could go to ESPN. I could go hang out with my family because he's going to be our new defense coordinator, right? We're going to have us some sauce gardeners running around here. I'm fired <laughs> up. Next thing I know, he at Notre Dame. Uh, he didn't hit us with the, the Jimmy Butler level pump window. Six on. You know what I'm saying? He and, hit you with the pivot. He hit me with the pivot. <laughs> but coach, you found out like very early, like the scrutiny that head coaches come under and also the head coach of Notre Dame. Players Tribune yeah. article was beautiful, heartfelt. You reached out to your, your, your lineage. You looked forward. You were present. And he was like, you know what, though? I went to LSU. You didn't really say LSU was great. I'm going to talk to you about that afterwards. And you were like, and I couldn't, I came to Notre Dame because I couldn't make the same mistake two times. Folks in Ohio was like, but wait, 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 wait. Because he was like, I was 16, 17 years old when I came to Notre Dame the first time. It's just beautiful, right? He forgot the people at Ohio State crazy. <laughs> coach, I, you had to come out, coach, say, nah, listen, I enjoyed my time there. How crazy was it like to right away realize, oh man, these people are really looking at everything you say. Yeah, that was a, an eye-opening experience for me, you know? But I needed it. You need to learn, that's why you need those, th those lessons to learn. And, you know, I think about that article, that Players' Tribune, and, you know, you kind of do it where you're being interviewed, they write it for you, kind of like that. And so, you're thinking you're talking to Notre Dame fans. Right? You're not thinking about anybody else other than Notre Dame fan. And they say, why did you choose Notre Dame? Oh, man, I made a mistake. You know, I don't want to I don't want to say no, no to Notre Dame twice, you know, and, and poor choice of words, because that's all the people at Ohio State read it was like, oh, you, you regret your decision to choose Ohio. That's not. No, man, I wouldn't be where I'm at 
without those years in Columbus, Ohio. And I value every part of it, you know? And so it was a great lesson that you gotta be careful of the things you say, right? The things you write, your interviews, because it's not just talking to a certain group. Everybody sees it and everybody can take it a different way. And so that was a learning lesson, but if I would have never done that, you know, I wouldn't learn it. So everything happens for a reason. And speaking of the Notre Dame, I guess I call it lower. Yeah. Because what it is, because we joked yeah. on, the, you know, we were walking around where Notre Dame sent me a letter and just me being like, I ain't made for Notre Dame. Like the, <laughs> the religious stuff and all the no name on the yeah. back of the jersey yeah. like that yeah. You want me. your name on the back? I'm the All-American. <laughs> coach, you wouldn't coach me, Coach. I'm the All-American. <laughs> right. I want to give you a single digit. You know what I mean? I appreciate you, you know? Coach. But, but I don't want to, like, is there, is, it, is there a difference with how you have to coach here? Because you seem like, I don't want to say fall in the line. Mm -hmm. That seems disrespectful to me. But just knowing you're at Notre Dame, this is the way they've done it. This is the way this school is. I have to be that. Mm -hmm. Would you be a different coach if you were at a different school? Because Florida's known. They used to call us, uh, what, NFLU and stuff, um, NFL vocational school. We come in there, we're going to be there two years, we're about to hit the league. Like, we didn't have – it was a different lore. That lore of being a Notre Dame, does that change you as a coach or it just kind of perpetuates what you already are? Well, I think you always adjust to your kids, to the players. All right? I spent – I was at Cincinnati for four years, and, and not all those kids were, were just yes sir, no sir kids. But – you have to adjust your coaching style to your kids, right? And okay, what do they need to make sure you get the outcome you want? So if you sit here and say, well, I'm gonna treat everybody the exact same, well, then you're not gonna get out of it what you need, right? There's different individuals. These kids, Notre Dame attracts a certain type of kid, right? There's certain requirements that it takes to get in here. You know, it's certain expectations. It, it takes a, sometimes a different person to choose this place. Right? We got a sign when you walk into our mud room downstairs, it says, choose hard. Right? Choose hard. I believe Notre Dame's hard. Right? There's some things that, that you have to do here that's difficult, not just in football. You know what I mean? But you choose hard every single day, and it's going to become who you are. Right? And the result of that's going to be the reward of that is going to be something you can't even imagine. And so you always have to adapt and adjust to the people you are coaching to ultimately get the final product that you want. And so, yeah, maybe I have to adapt and adjust here than I, differently than I had to do it at Purdue or Kent State or Cincinnati, you know, but it's all about uh, being adaptable to make sure you get the desired result. And you're okay to miss out on a five-star future Heisman candidate that's not Notre Dame material. Uh, okay. Like, yeah, okay. Like, like I'm not going to try. Like, I'm going <laughs> to try. But you know, you, you, hey, you, like yeah, you said, yeah. you know the standard. Yeah, this yeah. kid's not the standard, yeah. but this is the next Cam Newton. Yeah. I yeah. want this dude on my team. Yep. Yep. You got to be able to say it no because that kid won't have success here and you're doing him a disservice. Yep. Correct. You're doing him a disservice. They don't bend here. You gotta go to class and you gotta study and they're gonna hold you to these high academic expectations, right? And so we have to understand that. We, our jobs to go find maybe the next Cam Newton or that next kid that's gonna be a Heisman Trophy winner that might not think he's a Notre Dame kid and say, oh yeah, you are. Mm. You're a Notre Dame kid. That's my job. That's our job as a staff is go find the, you might not have been there. Right. No. You said you wouldn't have chose this place no matter how hard. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs>
<laughs> when you walk in the cafe, like Ron Zook yeah. did from Florida, yeah. walk in the cafeteria, where's Crowder? He over there with the tank top on, the girl sitting around him. I just, I just stole somebody's lunch. That's my chicken tenders. Yeah, you just, you were cold. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even talk to me because you'd have turned around, and left back out, got in the car, and got on the plane. Hey, coach, you, you write the ship. You finish nine and four. Uh, you beat South Carolina to end the season, and then you get into the second offseason that's not this blur, right? You have a chance to put the Marcus Freeman way into place as your team continues to grow in your image. But then you become part of the reality of college football. Mm -hmm. Offensive coordinators leave. Yep. Sometimes quarterbacks get into the portal. You got to replace coaches. But you know the expectation at this school. And I think Bob Davies struggled here early. Brian Kelly struggled here early. But here at Notre Dame, it is about high achievement. Mm -hmm. And going into your second year, the expectations will take a step up, especially with the way that you were able to finish and show some of that Notre Dame medal throughout your first year. What are your expectations going into this year in the way that you guys are approaching it? Like, what I learned, Ryan, is that, like, I think last year I almost tried to talk this thing into to happening. We're going to talk about national championships. We're gonna, every day we're going to talk about it. Hey, everything we're doing is to win a national championship. Like, that's a result. That's a result of a lot of different things being executed, right? And so I have the blueprint year two, okay? I know what to expect. I know what the media expectations. I know what the practice expectations. How do we make it better? Right. And that's what we're working and focusing on. Is how do we make this thing better? The perception of Notre Dame coaches are probably similar to Notre Dame players. Like high staff had the uh, the Patriots uh, chief of staff in here a couple weeks ago. And he said, man, the perception of Notre Dame players and coaches are high character, high success. Right. And high standards. And so we're going to lose good college coaches to the NFL. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about Notre Dame because of. The, the requirements of a college coach, man. I told our president the other day, I said, we gotta try to protect the life of a college coach right now because it's just getting crazier and crazier. So coaches are saying, hey, if I got a chance to go to the NFL, I'm gone, you know? And they are. Instead of the great coaches saying, you know what, I'm gonna continue to stay in college because this is where I wanna be. And so that's another reason why we're gonna lose coaches. And so, but change happens, man. And what you have to do is, it ain't no different than a loss. Like you gotta be able to, replace with the right guys, with the guys that can execute what you want, but the right type of individuals. And you got to be able to do it and move forward because the ship's still going. Coach, how are you with uh, forgiveness? Because um, <laughs> around 2007, uh -huh. after Percy Harvin took the opening kickoff back, Troy, I'm sorry, Ted Ginn, Ted Ginn, same player yeah. in my head, like, <laughs> just different teams. What, what was your thought back then? And, and, and do you forgive you know, us Gator alum, like even though we didn't play, yeah. we were able to sit there and cheer and enjoy. And then the next year, y'all yeah. had a hiccup with LSU and, and these Tiger boys right here. Yeah. No, seriously. He let, us, he let us come to the campus though. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but man, some, some good times, some 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 good football, I'm sure. Man, and coach, sincerely from the bottom of my heart, I'm I'm always rooting for everybody, but I'm certainly rooting for you because I know this is a big order here and the expectations are extremely high. Uh, but, man, I know the Pivot crew will be pushing for you each and every opportunity we get, regardless of the universities you're playing against. Hey, Coach, you take care of my boys, too, now. Benjamin. Oh, yeah. 
Jaden. Yeah. You know, like yeah. those, those are, it's so cool to, to see kids that I watched as babies now, Mishu, live a dream I had uh, to be here at Notre Dame. Uh, Ben's a dude. Yeah. And he showed that yeah. very early. I've watched. How did you know Ben? Demo, okay. his father, yeah. Yeah. played for Washington. Yep. He was our chaplain. Gotcha. He was our chaplain yep. at Washington, so that's where we became close. We would host Bible studies at the house, so that's how we became close and just continued to stay close. And now, you know, he's in Arizona, yep. so my son plays for Arizona State. My right. son goes to church. Gotcha. Yeah, I out gotcha. there. So we're still close yeah. uh, as families. Verge yeah. works at LSU. He was my academic advisor. Saw another one of your players who we were like, yeah, he's a dude. Yeah, Javante. Right? Yeah. So for, for you, coach, and knowing that those are the type of players that you need and now having them on the team and understanding that when you look at this season, are you entering different than you did last year? I think you said you put so much into that first game. And, and, and going to win it. And, you know, you even said to yourself, one play, one life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, feeling like we know you got to do that quarterback, knowing you have the players all around, do you have a different level of expectation of yourself this year? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I think you're going into this season with a guy that has proven to play quarterback at a high level. Last year, we had two guys that were great, good, great kids, man. But neither of them had proven to play quarterback at a high level um, for a consistency of a season. And so, you know, now you have a guy that has some experience. Um, you know, you got a team, I think on defense, we turned nine guys that have started offensively, um, close to that number. And so there's more experience. There's more really camaraderie amongst the coaching staff. We know what to expect. I've learned so much in a year. And, and I don't want to say it like I'm not continuing to learn. You're going to continue to learn. But to see where I was last year at this time to now, you have some experience and some expectations of what it takes to have success. And so we got to continue to just focus on improvement every day. And I don't want to give you coach talk, oh, focus on improvement every day. No, but that's the reality of it, right? Because if you continue to just start talking about week one and week two and week three and when we play Ohio State, like you're wasting the valuable time that you got now. Wasting today. And so that's the expectation, man, is get everything we can out of the day. Coach, every time we see you, the fade fresh. The head, the head, was, hey, was it jail? Hey, hey, is it moose? On, no, no. <laughs> hey, first off, like, that's how, you you know, and this is an ethnic thing, culture thing. That's how we knew he wasn't all black. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, like, he got the good hair, though. He, 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 he not either, either Coach. You know? Coach, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, light skin, yeah, brother. You know what I mean? We got to stick together. Coach, he is also mixed. I'm throwing him in there. I'm throwing him in there. Oh, so it's you, Barack, Drake, Steph Curry. Marcus Freeman yeah. and myself. The go. five tens. Oh we go. my God! Is that light skin taking over? Taking over the world. Let's go. Coach, now. Oh, I need a coach. Oh, who, who you showing out for, coach? Come on. Man. You just trying to be the finest coach. <laughs> what you, you, coach, yeah, you don't coach. I don't never even I see when you take that stuff. No, no, you know? I knew you three were gonna come in here, right? So <laughs> I had to call. We got to give Julio our barber a shout out. He cuts the players, but Julio had to come up here real quick today. I said, Julio, I gotta be on the pivot today. Yeah, you gotta take care of me now. You gotta take care of me, coach. Don't worry. Coach, I got mine cut at 2.30 a.m. in my hotel when I landed. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Who's your barber? I just, I, I Google and I ask people. Ryan Mundy, who I played with in Pittsburgh, lives in Chicago now. He played for the Bears. I texted him on Saturday. I said, hey, man, you got a barber for me? He was like, yeah, this is the price. This is Instagram. I went check the page out. Yeah. Make sure he was straight. I shot him a text. I said, man, I need a haircut in between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. Can you do it? He's like, I'll be there. You know what? You didn't hire that guy. That's dedication, yeah, man. Dude, That's dedication, man. Dudes like him got to work real hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 
he's a Capricorn coach. He does that everywhere we go. Oh, yeah? He's fresh every show. I tell you what. I mean, they call the barber like this. Don't <laughs> be mad. Don't be mad. It's true. do it. You could have told me, man. We could have had Julio take care of you. Man. I, coach, yeah. I ain't know. Because, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. You know, like, we texted a little yeah. bit, but I didn't know how bougie you were yeah, going to act man. with us coming here. Come on, man. You know what I mean? Be like, you know, I had to get on the phone with KD in the mirror. We yeah. had to hash some things out. Yeah. I didn't know if they was going to make Brady Quinn pop out on me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but nah, Coach, we appreciate you, man. Oh, this is great, man. Oh, appreciate yeah, you, bro. Appreciate it's you, man. Awesome, yes, sir. Appreciate, appreciate you, man. Coach. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You good? Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. Hold up. Limitless. Biggest in the cap, pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the bitch, you not to trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a stomach cap, pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up.